Historical record holds that the first medical body snatching occurred in 1319 for a medical school in Bologna, Italy. Centuries later, the practice hit a record high in America's preeminent city for medical science. That is right. Talking about Cincinnati body snatching. Tonight, we welcome back Jeff Seitz, one of our favorite historians and authors, back to the show as we journey through the macabre tales, the Queen City body snatching, and the shocking theft that ended it all. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our third season of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Loco, and tonight with me in the shadows, like always, are Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. They'll be on in a little while along with Jeff. Our social media handles are at SinCabinetCurio on Twitter, at CincyCabinetOfCuriosities on Instagram, and of course, write us in your hometown haunts and strange stories to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. You can also join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts, where you can chat with other spooky lovers just like you about spooky things, weird history, and all sorts of strange stuff that we dig up around here on that Facebook group. Also, we're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities and please rate and review us so other spooky lovers and weird history fanatics just like you can share the podcast. Also, for those of you who are not in Cincinnati, welcome! This is our strange and spooky show from the Queen City. Also, if you're looking for us, Cincinnati is spelled C-I-N, C-I-N-N-A-T-I because I had talked to many people outside the city and no one knew how to spell it. So there you go. That's how Cincinnati is spelled. I learned it too when I moved here. So bringing us onto the show before Jeff comes back, I am going to bring back Christina and Jen, and we are going to talk about what fun little adventures we were on over the past few weeks. So Jen and Christina, welcome back hey, to the show, ladies. Hi. Welcome back after a, how many week break? Six week, something like that. Was it it feels long? like it was longer. Mm-hmm. I'm going mm. though. It kind of feels like a year has gone by. Every mm-hmm. week feels like a month. So, hi, hey. hi. <laughs> how was everyone's holiday season? It good. was very nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how was your grand adventure? Because we had talked about you were kind of it was kind of like the Hobbit. You were about to leave your door <laughs> and go on an on a grand adventure, uh, oh, perhaps yeah. with not as many wizards and dwarfs or yeah, dwarfs, but <laughs> just I'm a toddler short, and so a puppy. So I usually <laughs> say I'm a dwarf, dwarf, dwarf. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, lots of second breakfasts were had. Um, But our grand adventure was going down the original Route 66 through Missouri and Oklahoma to go visit family who live in Oklahoma. And uh, I got to go see, along with my husband and little one, we got to see basically a fire-breathing dragon in in Illinois. We also got to see the uh, large blue whale attraction that's on Route 66. We got to go through that. Yeah. Where is that? Because I think we must have been close to that because we went through St. Louis. I think it's Catoosa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So if you're going down 44, Route Route 66 parallels 
Route 44 through most of Oklahoma. And it's just a few, about a half an hour out of your way, but you can just go down that. And there's so many fun little stores and basically outlet malls that are selling candy, like, whoo, so much candy. <laughs> but then you have all these little side attractions. So we also saw a scale model of the Hubble telescope in Marshville, Ooh. Missouri, because Ooh. that's where um, Hubble is from. And uh, a Stonehenge. Oh, a model Stonehenge. Now, what was the last one? Oh, oldest jail, I think, in Missouri. Got to go peek in there. Super spooky. <laughs> and it was also on the active sheriff's property. So, oh, really? like hmm. the jailhouse and the sheriff's office and the police department. I'm like, oh, it, and I was like, oh, we're going to make this really quick. So we're not in anyone's yeah, so way. Be on your best behavior when you go visit the sheriff. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. All he saw was this redheaded hobbit jump out of a car with a camera, <laughs> take a few photos very quickly and jump back into the car. With a that's little good. kid that's going, what happened? Like that. <laughs> so we were an adventurous crowd. Oh, and a dog. We brought Yeti with us because mm -hmm. he was too young to board. Yeti does not travel well. Oh, oh no. no. Yeti was queasy the entire oh. time. Poor, Poor baby. Oh, yes. is there anything you could give him? No. <laughs> he, oh, no. Like, we gave him everything available. Um, yeah. And what ended up working was just not feeding him. So he didn't Poor get a little guy. He got fed at night yeah. instead, like in the late afternoon and then again at night to kind of pace it out instead of in the morning and then at night. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so fun. Just fun. Road, road trips yeah. are always the biggest adventure. I miss doing road trips. One of the things I planned on when um, before COVID hit, but we were talking about doing the podcast just as visiting all the strangest spooky places around Ohio and Northern Kentucky. It's not something we've managed to do too much. We did it with Indiana and the grave dollhouse mm -hmm. graves, but mm -hmm. I love traveling and going to interesting little places. So uh, it was fun. And then yeah. our Christmas, our Christmas was very low key. Mm -hmm. So we were just After like, yeah, we're done. Again. Yeah. We just <laughs> passed out and ate strudel. So, that sounds that, that sounds like a good way to spend the holiday. How about you, Jen? <laughs> uh, it was fine. I just spent it with my uh, sister and her family. Oh, nice. It was low-key. And uh, her in-laws have kind of adopted me in a Aww. way since my mom has gone. Aww. So... I knew they were going to be there for Christmas and I had no, they gave me this. Um, my brother-in-law's dad is an artist. So he did a screen print of his cat cookies Aww. and he gave it to me all nice and framed and everything. And it's so cute. Aww. So, and they are in love with their kitty. I mean, Aww. this kitty is like their world. Literally it is. This cat is their Aww. world. So anyway, that was one of, one of the nice things little surprises over Christmas and then I've just been trying to pack up the house and then my poor Betsy kitty hasn't been feeling well uh, she's okay but <laughs> she sounds bad <laughs> oh, she's got that wasn't her coughing just now was it? no, no that no, no, was no. my husband that was <laughs> I was about to say she sounds no. rather human <laughs> <laughs> no she is Troy is lurking in the shadows okay <laughs> She does got some sort of throat thing, like her throat is 
like inflamed and Aww. she is swallowing hard and she just sounds really bad, but otherwise is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and has a thyroid condition. So she needs to constantly be eating to stop from losing weight, but she can't eat cause her throat's bothering her and Aww. it's just been fun. That's but my new nice. cat's fun. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, Clover, right? Clover. Lady Clover of the Fields. She Aww. is sweet and sassy. Loves to cuddle on her terms. Mm-hmm. Which is not as much as I would like, but um it's good. She hisses at Betsy anytime she sees her. And no. Betsy's like, I don't I don't care. I don't care that you're here unless you're on my bed and then I'll hiss at you. Because that's <laughs> my bed. Wow. But yeah, that's my life right now. It's so boring. <laughs> but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Christina? What'd you do? Oh, it was really, you know, it's it's been a, it's been a very busy break. Um, I finished a couple of big projects, including my comic, finally, for, you know, Kat was ready to kill me. And I am still alive. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I was an editor's nightmare. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but I did finish. Uh, and then I also finished some other projects that, that were fairly big over the holidays. So that was nice. Um, one's going to be a book that's in London. And I'll talk more about it when it comes out. And um, just working on some other projects. And just trying to sketch my next books. And getting that sort of thing together. Um, and we visited you know, my in-laws, which they live by Lake Barkley in Kentucky. So it's really beautiful. And I was able to sketch outside this year and not get shot because one thing, when you go down at Christmas, it's duck hunting season. And so you Ooh. have to worry about getting shot. Uh, and so I was sketching there a couple of years ago and I found this nice little beach and I sat down, and I started hearing all this gunfire. Oh, and so scary. I very hastily made my way back and Troy's mom proceeded to tell me, oh, well, it's duck hunting season. You know, you have to be careful about, you know, walking around so you don't get shot. Um, but this time I went in the late afternoon and I, most people hunt in the morning. So, you know, I was able to survive that. And then we went to, we also were on part of old route 66 because we visited some yeah. close friends in Springfield, Missouri. Um, actually, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my friend Iowana is who's helping. Um, one thing that I've been working on, during the break is I've been wanting to do some sketching trips and we are doing a sketching trip to Transylvania in June for mm-hmm. two weeks. So we're hitting all the uh, big cities and towns in Transylvania and um, sketching them. I am people that know me well know that I am a castle fanatic and um, Romania has some wonderful castles. It's not got as much of a touristy reputation because Europe, I mean, there are so many castles. And so um, Romania is beautiful, especially in Transylvania, but it tends not to get the tr- the traffic of visitors just because there are so many other places. It's way east. And, you know, there are so many places in Germany and in Ireland and England that people, by the time they get to Romania, you know, that's that's pretty deep Europe. But it's yeah. a beautiful, it's a beautiful country. They have the most old growth forest in Ooh. Europe. Um, they have, yeah, they actually have the brown bears that are extinct everywhere else. Oh, um, wow. Iwana and I were ha- hiking there when we were there in 2014 and sadly saw no bears, but we saw a lot of their poop. So 
Well, well we, we see another there. Yeah. We saw lots of bear scat, but we didn't see any bears. Um, <laughs> you know, she is a plant biologist. Um, although for Christmas, I got her her first sketchbook, and I said, you know, you have to like maybe start sketching. And um, you know, we, we've got a really nice group of people that are going to go in June. It should be really mm -hmm. fun. So we've been working on that and making our plans for that. Knock on wood, we will be able to travel in June. That's the one big question mark. Yeah. You know. Really hoping you'll be able to travel. Just me too. Me. Too. I, I. Everybody hopes they can travel. I mean, yes. you've been. Your trip to Japan has been postponed. Like how many times? Twice. <laughs> and we, we're we're right now trying to get uh, our tickets moved again because <laughs> no one can go into Japan right now unless there's some extra circumstances, and they it's basically been on lockdown. And also the COVID is just the COVID. Oh no. Um, it's Everybody just, understands. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's just they're they're dealing with their own waves and variants and all that. So, but speaking of projects, Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities issue two is to the printers. Myself Ooh, and Tim looked at over last week. It looks beautiful. It's heavy, but beautiful, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited for it to be out in the world whenever there's enough paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But no, it's very beautiful. The ink sat well on all the paper that we chose. Everyone, like the hue saturation is just mwah, chef's kiss. All the <laughs> typing came out beautifully. The tones came out beautifully. Like it just, I'm all jazzed about it folks i'm just so jazzed about it so i mean we loved issue one but we issue love two, issue one this is a very good sibling to issue one it's going to give it a run for its money so yeah i mean uh, there's a lot of great stories in it i mean i love all the stories in it actually they're really good oh yeah um i there's a, it's real i'm excited for people to get to read it yeah um, yeah reviewing the pdf i'm just like i'm so proud of everyone i know <laughs> such a great job i feel like a really proud mama just like, oh, you're so great, everyone. Pat on the back. Like, not to sound mm -hmm. patronizing, but yeah, everyone did a fantastic job. I'm so proud. So, and, and actually, yeah, next issue. No, I was going, not about the oh. issue, but uh, later this season, because this is a companion podcast to these comic book anthologies, we have a few different topics that we have in the works. More to come, of course. But some of the stuff that we like to investigate a little bit more is the many nicknames of the Queen City. Because I've mentioned we're the Queen City. Charlotte, North Carolina would really like to fight us on that title. But uh, uh, we're also known as Porkopolis. And we have a few other fun nicknames in the, in the long history that is Cincinnati. We're also going to try to talk about Lafcadio Hearn, a.k.a. Koizumi Yakumo, who is a pretty renowned compiler of Japanese ghost stories, mm -hmm. who used to live here in the city, wrote extensively about when the Cincinnati Music Hall was being built and the burials, and he's very good with describing the decay of all the skeletons and everything that was going on. So very interesting guy, had an interesting life, and he is now buried in Tokyo. So mm. I'm hoping that some of my friends who are our Tokyo correspondents can go visit that gravesite for us. Also, Magnetic Springs here in Ohio, more premature burials, and of course, <laughs> a trove of haunted locations. So fun Exciting. stuff to look forward to. 
Cannot wait. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about you, you were putting your list together for book three topics. Yes. And I'm not going to reveal it here, but we'll have it up on our website soon enough. And uh, one reason why we're not reviewing it here is because I don't know where I put that notebook. <laughs> well, you know, and I hope, you know, if you're listening Oops. to this and you, and you're interested, uh, you know, please submit a proposal for it. I mean, you know, really want to see your stories for this you know cat works really hard on this list and i think that it's always an exciting thing to see what proposals come in mm -hmm. and um you know they, the more it's one of those things where people ask will you run out of stories and the more stories we find you know the more there are like yeah it's sort of like a pandora's box i love it Pandora's box of spooky, weird history. Yeah, yeah. You just—it's—it's it's like mm. a rabbit hole you go down, and it—it it doesn't seem to have an ending. Yeah, and so. also, um, people who may be watching on YouTube will notice that this is a different room <laughs> that where I was in season two. I I flipped rooms, so my studio is in a different room in our house. So mm -hmm. if you're wondering why I can't can't find that notebook, it's because she's misplaced it in this move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hmm. so um i guess speaking of spooky tales of cincinnati yes uh tonight we welcome back our friend jeff cease historical author of so many books about the queen city and also a journalist for the cincinnati inquirer that i can't list them all out here but you can find out more about his lit literary endeavors at his website jeffcease.com and you have and he's also been on a lot of previous episodes of our show. I think at least two. Unfortunately, I couldn't look them up in time. But Jeff, we're... Jeff, you wrote a wonderful article about body snatching here in Cincinnati. It was fun. It was a great read. I loved all the historical pictures that were included as well. What you. got you interested in the topic of body snatching? Well, every uh, Halloween, I like to try to do something kind of spooky. Um, you mentioned Lefkadi O'Hearn earlier. You know, yeah. I, I like to write about him um, and different things. And this was one that there was a, there was a podcast my wife listens to all the time called uh, Sawbones. Oh, um, yeah. And they had mentioned about this Cincinnati connection to um, the grave robbing. You know, I knew about grave robbing, but this specific guy that I ended up writing about. And I've been thinking about that. And then my editor had asked about writing about the... Uh, um, where music hall is being a potter's field and, and some of that stuff. And so I decided I didn't have much time. So I kind of put them all together into one big uh, story. Mm -hmm. And frankly, you could write about each of those and make, you know, oh, yeah. chapters of, of each of them. There's, there's quite a bit of information. Oh yeah. Like just with the potter's field, the original locations of not only a potter's field, it was a, an, an asylum, mm -hmm. an orphanage. The Presbyterian burial ground. Well, the the, the, the Washington yeah. Park was also um, a grave. Uh, two different types of there was Episcopalian and Presbyterian graveyards mm -hmm. there, and so you have just you know all of that in that area, and mm -hmm. um, you know so that's all part of the history that as they built the you know, music hall, uh, did the renovations, and when they redid Washington Park, a lot of those graves, unmarked graves, of course, you know, are still under. Oh yeah, parts. there's only three headstones I think that's on display in Washington Park right now. When you're walking up, um, oh I forget which street that is. Um, is it? It's, it's Elm, and then you Elm. come up. Yeah, yeah. 
because it's it's facing when you're looking at Cincinnati Music Hall. You can see yeah, it's near that little dog park. Stones. Yeah, and oh, so it is on Elm. Yeah, or, yeah, okay. Where where that it the only headstones they have on display in Washington Park right now, and it's deceiving because you just look at it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a few few bodies. No, there's probably hundreds of bodies still in there, but I, I know when. I remember the Enquirer reporting on it when they were doing the excavations to build the parking garage, just the amount of bones that they were pulling mm -hmm. out from there. So, well, I did a, a piece several years ago about there was a, a guy named uh, Joshua Wyeth, who was one of the original Patriots at the um, uh, Boston Tea Party. Oh, wow. And uh, in fact, he's the guy who coined the phrase Boston Tea Party because it was so secretive. They never actually talked about it until he came to Cincinnati and started talking about it. And um, he is buried under uh, Washington Park. And when they decided to, to put the park there, they asked, they put in ads and things in the papers asking families to basically take the remains of their relatives and transfer them to Spring Grove or other mm -hmm. cemeteries. Well, he didn't have any family still around and a lot of the people didn't. So if nobody claimed the remains, they're still there. And that's what exactly. And so they did not have records mm -hmm. of who was buried there. The assumption is he was there because he was Presbyterian and died in the period. You know? yeah. yeah. So there's that assumption. But uh, I know the, um, I talked to one of the um, historian at the library um, who had done a lot of research on that. And, and basically nothing has ever, yeah, you know, other than the bodies they're finding, they don't really know who they, who's under there. Yeah. It, it's the tombstones. Yeah. Cause I know, just with from an anthropological standpoint, you you dig up the bodies, you need to identify them, and then try to put as many bones together as you can for each person, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of manpower, and um, it's not uncommon for them just to be reburied and reinterred, and yeah. Well, with the uh, music hall, when they did the uh, last renovations, or maybe it was the one before when they were doing the uh, elevator, mm -hmm. um, and they found some bones there. I think it was the elevator one, and um, they ended up donating them to an anthropological um, study, I think, at UC. Mm -hmm. There's photos coming. of it back from yeah. like 87, I think. Yeah, I think. That's yeah, beautiful. yeah. The, it's to be able to get human bones, even to this day for a medical or, in my case, anthropological labs, just to be able to study what actual bone looks like. You're not looking at resin castings. It's always, it's, I don't want to say it's a treat or a treasure, but you feel a lot of responsibility when you're looking at them like reverence you're like wow this is actually this was a part of somebody this was somebody's jawbone this was somebody's knee or foot and uh, it helps a lot with education which is what we're stressing tonight but the way that it was done back in the 19th century may not have been the best way to have gone around this it does the just the start and the ending and everything in between is just amazing, the stories. So I know in one of the articles that I was reading about this topic, Cincinnati was one of the preeminent medical cities in, in America for a while in the 19th century. We had 20 different medical schools between 1820 to like what, the late 1800s? And then we had just a few of them through the years, I did make note of where the most prominent ones were. A lot of them were established by Dr. Daniel Drake 
and then he would get kicked out of one. Also, please excuse my dogs barking in the background. Um, and like Dr. Daniel Drake would establish a medical school, get kicked out of it by the board, establish another medical school, and then get kicked out of it, then get rehired at a different school that he had already started. And this happened a lot. <laughs> he was kind of everywhere. But just for our listeners, we I think the main schools we'll be talking about today is the Medical College of Ohio that later became UC's medical school. Um, and that was on 6th Street between Vine and Race. There was the Eclectic Medical Institute, which was on Court and Plum, the Medical Department of Miami University. Uh, there was also the Physio Medical College on 7th and Cutter. I think I, if I'm reading my notes correctly. And then the medical department of Cincinnati College, which was on 12th between Elm and Plum. I know at least with the Medical College of Ohio, they had a body shoot for all these bodies to be deposited at night. So fun things. So this body snatching, why? Why was body <laughs> snatching happening, Jeff? Well, I, you had talked about um, how rare it was to get body parts for, you know, to study. And that's mm -hmm. very much so at that time. You know, we take for granted how much knowledge we have now, um, but there wasn't that much knowledge and there wasn't an opportunity. So um, these medical colleges needed bodies to study, but they didn't have a, the, the setup for bodies to be like donated easily and things like that and so they basically just looked the other way and didn't care or didn't ask questions about how they got their bodies and they knew very well where they were getting them they just you know look look the yeah other way. And, yeah the and police also didn't didn't care either they no. all didn't they all looked the other way they're like no this isn't happening right you pretty much needed to be caught red-handed and even that it, was, it seemed I, I don't know what the le exact legal but the stories that i was reading in the inquirer and other places it was they were just slapped on the wrist i mm -hmm. mean the newspapers would literally say you know that guy who's a, the well-known body snatcher and you're like <laughs> you know you couldn't do that today you can't say you're like you know that guy who we all know is a Mm -hmm. doing this illegal thing, but it's not getting arrested for it. Right. Exactly. It's just it, amazing. So, you know, basically what they would have to do is find the, these bodies and you need them within a certain period. You don't want something that's been buried for 10 years. You want something relatively fresh. And uh, when you think about that um, very much uh, Frankenstein and that, you know, coming out of that, that same time period that, that was common, that they would, these bodies would be, almost intercepted right after burial or um, or maybe even from, you know, mausoleums and things that, that hadn't really got there. And they would somehow get smuggled to the medical colleges in the middle of the night. And the next morning, hey, <laughs> we've got a bunch of bodies for, for study. And it was, you know, about 10 or $20 per body, which was pretty a lot of money in the 1850s, 1860s. Yeah, I think one of the articles i read it estimated it be slightly over 800 dollars a body they were getting oh. yeah so yeah that was a lot of money back then and but it was a lot of work too i mean i'm not trying to say it was simple because it wasn't it was um not just everybody could do it you had yeah. you were doing a lot of of uh, manpower and but, but there was a there's a guy we'll, we'll talk about this um, named William Cunningham, who actually had other work, people working for him. 
Mm-hmm. So he would have, um, particularly he would get a lot of other poor people. Um, so you might get some African-Americans and things that, you know, um, laborers doing mm-hmm. these jobs. And he was kind of the guy in charge. Yeah. So, um, and they needed to pull the bodies out of the ground, transport them across town, all in the dead of night. <laughs> Do you know how heavy a human body is? How difficult they are to move? Your mm-hmm. head alone is seven to eight pounds. And it's just trying to carry a potato sack full of bowling balls. Because, <laughs> no, like, this is, in some of William Cunningham's time, it was slightly before embalming. So Ooh. you have bodies decomposing actively as you're trying to carry them in rucksacks. So you've got gases happening. I, I'm, I'm sure many a time his own teams got freaked out by weird moanings and gases passing through the human body, oozing, smells, insect activity. All this is starting to happen within a few hours of death. So got to work quickly, especially in those potter's fields. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of them were the potter's fields because the idea was, you know, these are um, people who weren't claimed or didn't have any family. And so, you know, who's going to complain about the body missing mm-hmm. and uh so what i've read about um the process in particular with william cunningham is that he wouldn't have to dig up the whole body the way we think of of like oh i have to go down six feet and i had to dig out this whole six by you know six by six <laughs> trench yeah. or something and, and dig down instead all they'd have to dig down to the um generally the feet of the the coffin then they could smash through the hook the the, the, the the, the lid mm-hmm. and then wrap a rope around the legs and then yank them out like tied to a horse or something and just yank the body out. So it wasn't a ceremonial, nice treatment. It was, no. it was the same way you would grab, you know, uh, a big log or something that was in your way, you know, that you would have to you'd pull out. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the, gases and how messy it must have been just horribly messy not great and i could just imagine the medical school the kids the kids oh no the students getting the cadavers because they really weren't kids these are 20 30 year old people in medical school and all the post-mortem breakages like i'm i'm sure bones popped out of flesh at some point in the process of (laughs) Well, they I'm sorry, also... I'm grossing out everyone, aren't I? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, at least they weren't bleeding. Uh... They were yeah. oozing, though. They would be oozing, but yeah. you know how blood coagulates <laughs> after. But they would probably just use them for certain things. So, like, if mm-hmm. a body were really damaged in the head, you might use it for an abdomen. Or oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. So, it's not... Um, you wouldn't necessarily need the full body or whatever. Right. You know, however that, that worked. Um... um if, if you don't mind, I, there's a couple of quotes I got from old stuff I wanted to share about. Because oh, yes. the writing of the, this period is much richer than, you know, I could do do, do justice. So mm-hmm. uh, William Cunningham was operated in Cincinnati around 1855 to 1871 is when he died. And he had a bunch of nicknames. Uh, he was lo- known as Old Man Dead, um, the Ghoul, because Ghoul was another term. Um, and they called these resurrectionists. That was yes. the official term you'd see that actually in the news he was referred to as that that well-known resurrectionist in cincinnati which is kind of a kind of a cool name actually for for yeah and grave robber um but his most common nickname was old cunny (laughs) 
And it was because his name was Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Cunning was also cunning. You know, like he was, he was really sly about how he would get out of these situations. And there was this great description that the Inquirer had. So if you bear with me, it's a, it's one of those really long sentences with semicolons and stuff. But uh, he said, To have ever seen Cunningham is to retain him in your memory for a lifetime, for that ponderous yet gaunt frame, that villainous bald head fringed about with silvery gray, that strong marked face corrugated with age and crime, a canine mouth from the corners of which slowly trickles the generous saliva, impregnated with the juices of nicotine and that shuffling gait caused by a broken leg received from a charge of buckshot constitutes a tout ensemble sufficiently striking to make a very vivid impression very wow. vivid indeed oh wow. my that, that was writing in the inquirer back in the day no <laughs> that, that seems completely unbiased completely <laughs> why saliva why does it have to be described why? Oh. Well, it, it seems like, you know, newspapers at that time were your entertainment too, right? Yeah. I mean, like you didn't get to watch the news oh, or whatever. You should so. read the old yeah. murder stories. Is oh, yeah. I mean, crazy. it's exciting so that people would read it. Yeah. yeah. I like the scandal sheets myself, but yeah, <laughs> that's because I'm gossipy, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, one thing you're you're where you were talking about him, uh, and it raised some other questions. Um, like when you were getting, say, unmarked uh, graves and that sort of thing, were they even in a box? Did they ever, I mean, did they usually even if poor people put them in a box when they buried them? Uh, I don't know. I think it probably went a little bit different ways. Uh, some I unmarked know that graves. Answer. Oh, you're well, do you do? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was. Jen and I love grave matters here, so it's just like, yeah. So you're looking at a large burial pit. So no, the paupers' fields they were not put into pine boxes because that costs money. They were put into rucksacks, basically, and thrown into a pit. And that's how they would be decomposing, which made it a very big mess when we excavated them. And a lot, a lot of like, at least they weren't embalmed. So you don't have chemicals leaching into the ground. Everything that was coming out at the time was El Natural. So fertilizer, really. But uh, yeah, that was it, it would be only people who were formally buried where you would have them digging into a coffin, roping them, and then taking them out. Which brings me to an interesting topic that doesn't get talked about too much. And I did find it while scouring just notes on body snatching, which was Jewish bodies were also very popular to steal. Because in Judaism, you're buried within three days of dying. Mm-hmm. So... The problem became so persistent that the Jewish community here in Cincinnati wrote to the higher ups saying, hey, guys, we need some help here. We're getting our bodies snatched. This is not good. What can we do to keep this from happening? And the man who was really responsible for kind of revolutionizing the way that the bodies were treated after death would be Rabbi Shachna. Shachna, oh my goodness, Rabbi Shachna Isaacs, who was uh, from Cincinnati, who was a local rabbi, and he ended up getting basically uh, the Jewish community to put together a guarded mausoleum where the skeletons were, or not skeletons, the bodies, eventually it'll be skeletons, but um, 
the bodies would be housed and they were guarded for about a week or two until the bodies had decomped enough that they were no longer of use to the medical schools and then they were given the burial that they deserved so mm -hmm. it, you started seeing families doing that as well um but that will eventually bring us to what stopped all the body snatching in 1878 but we're not there yet all right sorry that was a weird historical <laughs> note to go on so body pit well you would talked about um you know Cunningham and how he was very cunning and not getting captured. Um, and some of the stories that they had in the Enquirer. And to be honest, I read a bunch of things, so I can't really remember which source it was. But because um, there were some books and things from the period, but uh, there were stories of um, him being caught red-handed and uh, by like police officers or private watchmen. And uh, he, while he would go talk to them at like a local pub, he would have his men continue to work and then he would buy drinks for everybody and after about like an hour later after everybody's all liquored up and chummy then he would go back and his men had picked, got the bodies and and there was his, his day and so you know literally being caught red-handed and nobody does anything about it you know the police just get you know look the other way did and he then, also send female friends of his to funerals to scout out bodies yeah, there was all sorts of that. His wife also was involved with this. She continued it even after he died. But yeah, oh, there was wow. all sorts of that kind wow. of scouting. Um, and like I said, it was very open secret. Um, the medical community completely knew about it, they, um, but they didn't want to go on record about it. So there is a, um, a story that made it in several of the books by a local Cincinnati physician that was supposedly well known. He said he, he went, you know, didn't want to be on the records. So we don't know who it was. But he, he gave a story that about um, one incident he remembered where uh, uh, Cunningham got a body and put him in clothes and sat him up on the, uh, the wagon, the carriage with him. And when they would drive, you know, it was like a weekend at Bernie's sort of thing. <laughs> and, and when they would pass somebody by, he would make some comment, you know, like, hey, what are you doing? You know, like, like, like he was answering something that he had said. Um, and I have the description here, if, if you don't mind a second again. Um, it says, usually he took the body down in a buggy sitting in the seat beside him. The corpse was dressed up in an old coat, vest, and hat. He would hold the reins in his right hand while he would steady the corpse with his left hand around the waist of his silent companion. Whenever people passed, the corpse would gravitate forward and downward. Cunny would slap his inoffensive partner in the face and say to him, sit up. This is the last time I'm going to take you home when you get drunk. The <laughs> idea of a man with a family disgracing himself in this way. <laughs> that is weekend at Bernie's. That's is. pretty clever, actually. Disturbingly so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he was a wagon driver by day, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So he had the wagon available. And he uh, once got caught um, mailing a body from American Express. It was kind of like a, you know, a, like a Western Union sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, the guy opened up the box and found this, like a woman's body in it. And he was went back to him and he's like, you got to get rid of that body. And he's like, oh, is that all? Like, sure, yeah, no problem. You know, I, I can get rid of that. And he said that he said that he had shipped more than 100 bodies that summer through American Whoa. Express. Yeah. Through the mail. 
to yeah. other medical colleges. Yeah, that one was bound for Kansas, if I remember the yes. account. Yes. Yeah. Kansas. Uh, I found out a fun fact while listening to uh, Lore. Um, apparently, H.H. Holmes would yes. sell the skeletons of his victims to. I was going to bring up H.H. Holmes or yeah. Herman Mudgett in a little bit. Oh, sorry. But it's... Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Just like I said, we love true crime. I'm not surprised you brought up H.H. Holmes and his murder <laughs> castle up in Chicago. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure, but I'm sure, I wonder if he's the only one that did that. Oh, like, no. Were there. There had to be murders that also would sell their bodies. I'm sure. Though the Holmes victims. was really motivated by insurance fraud. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it, 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 that murder castle, that seems like a lot of effort, though. It is a lot of effort. That's he had to deflush them. Yes. Well, well, lie is very handy for that process. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you, you all will cover this, but... Um, it sounds like the medical industry was sort of complicit in this and um, was, I, I mean, what was the process? Like, how did these people get linked up with the medical community? Did they, I mean, there was before Craigslist, was there some sort of secret net, network where people would somehow get a hold of these bodies? I mean, you can understand why doctors would want to see them so they could study them. Um, and why was it illegal at the time for them to, or was it just there wasn't laws on the books at all? I don't think there are, there were a whole lot of laws. Uh, well, the laws that there were weren't really enforced. Um, mm -hmm. There there wasn't until um, an incident that, um, that you've alluded to already that mm -hmm. there was actually an anatomy law, a, a uh, enforced anatomy law in, in Ohio, um, and frankly. I think it's just one of those things that it was considered like a necessary evil because, you know, these were unclaimed bodies by and large, and um, there was still a very real need for bodies. And it just wasn't, there, there was no laws and things and, and mechanisms in place for like donating your body to science and, and right. things like that. I do, I did dig up a story from 1835 that kind of covers a little bit of insight with, what was going on it was very much the wild wild west because not only did you have these uh, resurrectionists picking up the bodies but medical schools would be fighting each other for mm. them so this is an account um it is uh i think from major gano or gano um he was one on the board of one of these medical schools <clears throat> but it's um 1835 a group of college students from the medical department of cincinnati college plus their professor and their resurrectionist, which was the school's janitor, um, came to Major, Major Gan, uh, was I forgot his first name, Gano's uh, estate, uh, after they were shot at while digging up a corpse from their pot, the nearby potter's field. The professor had a wound around his head, and they had taken him to Major Daniel Gano's estate. While Gano and his wife actually treated the professor, the group told him of their story, and they thought that it was a competing group from the Medical College of Ohio who had shot at them. Uh, it turned out that it was actually bricklayers from the brickyard next door to the potter's field that were sick and tired of all these body snatchers and had started shooting at the students. Prior to, uh, in the early days, basically, the students had to dig up their own bodies before the resurrectionists really kind of took over. So that is a recollection from Major Daniel Gano. 
of body snatchers. So that's why we have laws now. Well, <laughs> that was 1835, right? That was way before laws, right? So what we'd be, I think what we're dancing around is basically the John Scott Harrison case of 1878. So Jeff, would you like to share the tale? Sure, and you can chime in with you know any details and all that. So John Scott Harrison was the son of William Henry Harrison, tenth um, president, and his son was Ben Benjamin Harrison, who would eventually become president. So he's the only son of a president and father of a president. Mm -hmm. and, and U.S. House of Representatives from Ohio. Yeah, and so when he passed away in 1878. And then, um, so there's a lot of family around here. Uh, Benjamin Harrison was was in Washington, I think, at the time. But um, his, um, John Harrison's son, because they're all, like, named John Harrison. <laughs> so. Um, the the son, first names. Yeah. And so the, the, they go by their middle names, but frankly, I can't remember them all. So it's, um, so the, the, the son, John Harrison, um one of the family friends, and I see if I have the name here, Augustus Devon is what I have down, um, had died about the same time. And the uh, for whatever reason that I, I couldn't exactly figure out why, they were fear that um, of body snatchers there, or maybe the body had gone missing. I think the body had, maybe had gone missing, and there was there was fear of that. And so um, Harrison and his one of his other relatives, a cousin, I think it was, um, went over to the medical. Um, College of Ohio to try to find this family friend body, um, Ben, and they went down and they found that shoot that Christina, I think you mentioned, and they had this. They whole had group. a warrant, by the way, to do this. Oh no, no, I didn't. And they um, they didn't find Devin's body. Um, I think that actually got sold to another part of part of the country. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. found at the University of Michigan. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And there was a whole legal thing with there. Yeah. But what they did find is a body that was hung up in the like the classroom or whatever the things there. They have this whole system um, and it was like stripped with no clothes or anything hanging there. And they looked it up and it was his father. It was Whoa. John Scott Harrison, the president, former president's son. His yes. body had been stolen. They didn't know it had been stolen and it was hanging there. And then, of course, People with those sort of means make things happen. And once you actually have politicians involved and the Harrisons were important, you know, because this, at this point, Benjamin Harrison's, you know, up and coming, going to be president soon. And they really forced Ohio to pass their first enforceable anatomy laws. Yeah. Wow. God, that's and awful. What, so what was amazing about this, not only because they had basically stolen and sold the body of a, of a U.S representative um but also they managed to break into a cement brick tomb which he had been encased in when he Whoa. had died and they had done it by breaking through devon's um grave because devon was easy to snatch because he was just in a box and they just went Whoop! but then they went in and then to the side and got him oh my gosh so yeah, that that was the 1881. Where did that? Go? So the lesson is: don't steal rich people's corpses. Pretty much, yeah, right? Unfortunately. Right. If you if stick, you're stick to, keep to the Potter's Field. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Harrison's estate also levied three civil lawsuits against the Ohio Medical College for in total ten thousand dollars in oh. 1878 money. 
Unfortunately, no one knows how this resolved because the documents have mysteriously disappeared. Ooh, that's very so, juicy. Yeah, it is very juicy. It's the Ohio Anatomy Law of 1881, which was passed in Ohio, that made it legal to donate, donate your body um, to medical colleges. And that became the template for the federal law that eventually came around, too. So body snatching kind of... So Ohio was an early adopter or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ohio was the founding. Like everyone got their ideas from Ohio at that time. Well, it's it's Ohio. It's interesting because, you know, we were, you were talking at the beginning that it was kind of a worldwide phenomenon. And when Mary Shelley wrote Fit Frankenstein, was that in her mind too? Because it seemed like, you know, one kind of, uh, effect of all this body snatching was fear that the doctors were doing something nefarious like the whole you know story of frankenstein assembling a body out of dead parts and reanimating that was that fueled by this worry of the body snatching and that sort of thing was this sort of in was this like in the urban legend pop culture of the time i don't remember off the top of my head when frankenstein was written by mary shelley I think it was about 1817, something like that. Oh, so yeah, that would have been very much a thing. Yeah. It, um, because I know at least with the hangings, like they would hang criminals and those bodies usually be given to medical schools. So that was not unknown. I mean, uh, at the very, what was it? The article that you sent today, Christina, body mm -hmm. snatching started for medical schools in 1319. Oh so, my gosh. A uh, very, very long history of body snatching. And I think that's one reason why we have so many urban legends of ghouls in graveyards at night. Mm -hmm. It could be to keep people away from the graveyards and cemeteries while body snatching is happening. I mean, Cunningham's nickname was the ghoul. It'd make <laughs> it really easy. Also, horror host title for Cincinnati, if I've ever heard one, is the ghoul. If those are still a thing, but um, yeah, it, I think that was probably in our mind, right, Jeff? Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, that at least not, it's something that would have been familiar as a. Uh, I don't know if necessarily, you know, how a lot of times you don't think it's a fear that everybody else has until somebody writes about it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, well, we even had a vamp the New England vampire craze after uh, Mercy Brown died. That was in Rhode Island. I did not live that far away from her grave site. Um, mm -hmm. That brought on a whole new worry about what happens to bodies once you bury them. And uh, well, yeah. what one thing I thought was interesting reading about this before the show was they said it's still there are still bodies that get stolen. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this kind of the source of urban legends today of waking up in the tub of ice water with your kidney missing and <laughs> stuff? Is that is there? I mean, it seems like there is still trafficking of certain things. Um, oh, full-on bodies. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, there was a story not too long ago, a few years ago, of a funeral home selling to the family's uh, cremations. Mm -hmm. But the cremation didn't actually happen. They would, in turn, sell the bodies to conventions but i don't know what they would but then one woman found her once they found out about this this one woman in order to find her father was looking through a catalog that 
body parts were sold to um, medical conventions. Mm-hmm. And she came across a photo of her dead father's decapitated head. Yep. <gasps> so that's what happens today. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I also shared the man suing body donation company after mother's corpse was used for bomb testing. That yes. happened in 2019, yeah. reported by CBS News. Yeah. So um, it's just basically you have body donation companies and how they come up about their bodies now. Mm hmm. And just because you donate your body to science does not mean it goes to medical science. Correct. Yeah. Yes, Jeff. They had the, the, remember those bodies exhibits used to tour? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And there was a lot of concern because one of the companies, as I remember, was from, uh, I think it was from China, but I don't remember which country. And where there's not as much paperwork that Mm -hmm. actually says, and there was a lot of concern about where those bodies came from, whether they were like homeless people or something that whether mm-hmm. they had actually donated their body or not. And yeah. I know that was a big civil or like a human rights concern. Um, and some of the, some cities they were protested yeah. for that very, very reason. Yeah. Did yeah. any of you go see it when it was here? I did. No. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I yeah. saw it in Las Vegas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or one of them. Me. I, I found it really fascinating, but yeah. you've heard me talk about how people were um, buried. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it also the similar concept wigs, human hair wigs, mm-hmm. where some of that hair is also harvested is an equal question if it's always ethically harvested or not. So hmm. it, it's interesting how this has never really gone away, but it's evolved with yeah. the times and uh, really makes you think where things are sourced. Not just where your food comes from, but now where your wigs come from and how, like, I know when we're looking through, and we talked about this earlier, um, just medical schools now, where your bodies are coming from. And going back to Herman Mudgett, um, talking about medical schools. So, Jen, you want to talk about H.H. H. Holmes and how he got his bodies? Oh, um, I think he married a couple women. Uh some of them were uh, guests at his hotel or worked for him. And he would just somehow wiggle his way in there and get insurance policies on them and then kill them. And then I guess he decided at some point to <laughs> sell the skeletons because he could make money doing that. Because uh, they never found his victims' bodies, did they? So it depends on what victim you're talking about. Okay. So... I'm going to be honest, him marrying the women is new to me because I've never actually heard of marrying anybody except for his wife that he left in Vermont with their son. So, oh, that could be wrong. I mean, so, I don't retain facts like you do. <laughs> but well, I mean, it definitely. If it's this, yes. Yeah. If it's other topics, such as anything that has to do with a math equation, it falls out my head immediately. <laughs> so hold on that praise. But yeah, it was definitely people just that were in his. Yeah. And, yeah, and especially he, if they happen to drop, oh, you know, I have no family. They don't know I'm here. You so know, yeah. a little bit of background. He was originally from the East Coast. He mm-hmm. went to medical school at the University of Michigan. They don't like admitting that. But yes, he was a trained <laughs> doctor and surgeon. Um, his original name was Howard Mudgett, Herman Mudgett. And I think his son was named Howard. And 
what he did was insurance fraud across mm -hmm. the entire United States. So we're not going to talk about those, but it was the killing of the Faisal children that actually got him thrown in jail in Missouri mm -hmm. and eventually uh, executed. Um, but during the World's Fair, 1896, he built this lavish castle that was a hotel. And guests that he thought were certainly appealing, a lot of single women would stay there. And just about every room was booby-trapped so that the women would be gassed and their bodies deposited down a body chute that would go into the basement um, and where their body would fall into a vat of lye. And as I mentioned earlier, that's a very good way of removing the fat and tissue and sinew off of human bone. Then what he would do for $80 a pop is sell the medical skeletons to universities around the United States and Europe. So, and also parts of North America. We're not leaving you out, Canada. You bought human skeletons too. So uh, um, he made a lot of money doing that, but it had to be a very quick, quick uh, enterprise. He eventually left the murder castle. Um, I think he, I can't, say if he left bodies in the basement or not that doesn't sound like him but when he did get discovered on i think following year with the murder of the faisal children um the locals burnt down the murder castle and now it's a post office oh really could you imagine if it still existed oh no. oh my god i mean they also burnt down the faisal um cottage in indianapolis where yeah. he killed uh the kids well, one of the kids so. You know, and, and, and talking about uh, changing, talking about the art aspect of of you know uh, studying anatomy, um, Gray's Anatomy was illustrated and written in the 1800s mm -hmm. and um, was very controversial at first, wasn't it? When it first came out, um, obviously, like Leonardo da Vinci got in huge trouble for doing uh, mm -hmm. sketches of dissected body parts and stuff because it was very um, inappropriate you know you had to mm -hmm. kind of you know getting a hold of stuff to draw mm -hmm. but the gray's anatomy book which was illustrated in the 1800s is so accurate that it's still in print mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah i have a um, copy of it yeah i mean it was it was very detailed illustrations of you know they had to do lots of dissections mm -hmm. um and i believe uh and, and i'll have to look this up and talk about it a future show i i believe it was a bit controversial at first having someone draw from dissections hmm. that I, would, one I don't know it sounds I mean, like it would make sense because fr yeah. frankly all of that stuff was controversial at some point yeah yeah, yeah. but it, but it was a huge use for yeah. for uh you know, you know learning what different parts were like i mean you know, I, I, that's the thing that's so fascinating is that, you know, it was so hard to find out. I mean, it, it, we have all this knowledge today. Uh, but because that, of it. it. Yeah, at that time, mm -hmm. it was so hard to get this sort of thing. And it, it's crazy that it was so nefarious to be able to get access to these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Well, and I uh, guess it, it goes along with how people would view death. And if your loved one was still really in there after they died and. Mm -hmm. Now it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, your soul go, go, goes on and your body's just your body. So who, you know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to, my mom used to say all the time she wanted her body donated to science because of her emphysema. Mm -hmm. And she was a nurse, so she would have been fine with that. But uh, 
it always made me uneasy. I'm like, it doesn't mean they're going to study your lungs, mother. You know, right. and it's just, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, remember <laughs> that this was the time where bodies were still laid out in the family home. You have a um, lot of mm -hmm. death traditions yeah. about covering mirrors, covering windows, mm -hmm. um, which direction the body would be removed from the house from, like, oh wow, by the head, by the foot, north, south, east, or west. Like, what time of day? You have a lot of traditions about uh, treating the deceased at this time. And I mean, yeah. still do, but... Yeah. And those uh, kind of death photographs, that's kind of mm -hmm. interesting, you know, where they would set them up, do family portraits, and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. And death masks used to be a thing. Oh. Yeah. Yep. I think I saw a death mask of uh, Bella Lugosi in uh, an oddity shop here in Loveland. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just like... That's random. It was totally random. I'm like, I hope he consented to that, but I'm pretty sure he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you know. that's just the beginning of Madame Trousseau's museum mm -hmm. is the death masks done in mm -hmm. France, how she trained to do that. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, lot, as I recall, weren't there a lot of the uh, nobles and things that have been beheaded during the French Revolution? Were yes. She did the death masks of a lot of the nobles that were... Um, executed during the french revolution yeah. that's, that's how her training because photography wasn't invented yet right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, marie antoinette was one of the first really masks from madame tussaud yeah we went to oh, cool uh when i when i went to uh london i think this was my first trip like back and i think it was um in 91 you know i talked my mom into going to the madame tussaud's museum and she you know thought it was a really terrible idea because she thought it was just a sensationalized you know junk museum to go to but then she found it really interesting when we went because yeah, you so know cool. it did have such an interesting history and mm -hmm. you know how madame tussaud had started it and mm -hmm. you know it had a lot of uh, like you said really old stuff and death masks of really well-known um i mean i obviously now they don't do death masks they do sculptures but right yeah yeah, it, it's I forget who place. it is. It's I think a deceased noble woman who is the death mask for Sleeping Beauty, one of the really? first Trousseau wax figures done. She's still on display, at least oh, wow. she was when I saw her. And she's dressed up in a French Rococo dress, lounging on a chaise lounge. And she's just like, well, like that. But it's very, <laughs> it, it's a very young woman who. When you realize that that is a corpse's face that you're staring at, yeah, and then you start going, "Oh, okay." I think the same with the CPR dummy, right? <laughs> Didn't we talk about that? Yeah, we did talk about the CPR dummy. Um, yes, that is also a death mask. Is I'm it like, really? I, mm -hmm. We might have talked about it, but I didn't. It didn't stick to my memory. Last season, like, mm -hmm. yeah. I probably purged that one. <laughs> it's like i don't want to know that well i don't think it's the face for all of them now but no. at one point in time it it was yeah and so universal. effectively we've all made out with the dead person <laughs> well i'm now. remembering now a little bit more about that, <laughs> that discussion that we had before but you know it, it's it's just an interesting you know how how it seems like in in research and stuff how it's always been a struggle to be able to research um it always has i mean there was a there was a show i don't know if anyone here ever watched it called dark matters that was on the science channel and it was hosted by the actor that played denethor in the movies uh what is his name he played denethor in lord of the rings or you know, return mm -hmm. of the king 
And he was also on Fringe. I don't know if anyone watched that show here. Uh, oh, I actor. used to watch Fringe, the old guy yeah, that played the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he hosted yeah. this yeah. show called Dark Matters, and it was basically about scientists doing, uh, developing their hypothesis, hypotheses in rather unethical ways. Yeah. Like, for example, they covered like Pavlo the Pavlov who did Pavlov's dogs and how he did experiments on children, and a lot of times, mm -hmm. like when they were trying, like how they found out how rickets which was a vitamin deficiency and how some of these scientists kind of, you know, and, and, you know, that kind of, it was, it was an interesting show because it was really, they would show scenes reenacted with these scientists and then they would have it, it was all done on green screen and then the backgrounds were put on, but slightly askew. So it was oh. kind of a really weird, you could watch some of the shows on, um, and it probably, they probably did do some shows on, you know, getting cadavers and that sort of thing, because it was really hard to, you know, you have a hypothesis, but it's really yeah. hard to prove it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, some of these doctors would I do tests on themselves even. Like, they'd inject themselves with things. And mm -hmm. I don't think we'd be as, as advanced now if we if we had done everything ethically. We well, wouldn't know half the yeah. stuff we know. Well, ethical has changed. It's well, that's true. Over time. But the thing to take away from this is the amount of medical history that is bore on the backs of those who couldn't speak for themselves yeah. right. minority groups that couldn't speak for themselves um, people who were put into the potter's graves certainly couldn't and neither could their families so we really wouldn't be where we are today without that and it's a very sad realization when you realize that Yeah. Mm -hmm. so my heart goes out to all the families like um probably my own let's be honest i wouldn't be surprised if a few of them were in the potter's graves at some point i think everybody but, has family that would have yeah, been yeah um you know there was an interesting story on in wired a couple years ago about this brain surgeon that was sure that he'd figured out how to attach uh leads you know anyone that liked cyberpunk in the 90s remembers drawing all the little people with ports in their heads and oh, yes. like jacking in and stuff. Um, you know, I did a lot of cyberpunk artwork. I actually did artwork for cyberpunk <laughs> and shadow run. So I remember drawing lots of ports on people and tattoos and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> you know, this, this doctor, and this was fairly recently, like in the last 10 years, he was sure he figured out how to attach electrodes to your brain to boost it the way they've always like done in fantasy and science fiction. And so he decided to do the surgery on himself because he could not get, um, obviously, someone to volunteer. And so he went down to South America and had them put, like, he invented this, like, power box that you had to put in and, like, all these wires go to his brain. And not only did it not work, but he almost lost his ability to talk because it did the, the brain damage it did. And he finally got them, he finally had everything removed, but they couldn't remove some of the leads that were going, because it would cause more damage doing surgery again to get them out of his brain than to just leave them there. Kind of like how sometimes they leave shrapnel in with, mm -hmm. with certain types of wounds. But, you know, the thing that was interesting about it was, and, and you would think as a doctor, he would have realized this, but when you put anything in the human body, like say electrodes, you know, where you have some sort of firm, you know, hardware, your body doesn't want it there and immediately tries to get rid of it. And your brain is kind of like a jello mass. <laughs> so when you try to put electrodes into jello, you know, it, it, your body immediately is fighting it and trying to get rid of it. 
and you know it it didn't work the way he'd hoped but i guess it shows how much you're you could be wrong with a hypothesis when you're trying to figure something out it was a really interesting story mm-hmm. and I did he, he come out okay like um you know he did he survived and was actually doing surgery again <laughs> Nope. Okay. He should have lost his license for that. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, sometimes I guess you could be so sure that, oh, you know, I I could do this and it will, it will heal people. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was an interesting story. It was an interesting conceit. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And a brief history of cyberpunk, you know, (laughs) you know, Matrix just came out. So we we kind of are segwaying. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it was it was interesting. I sold a, I did I did artwork for Netrunner uh, when it came out with Wizard of the Coast, and I sold a piece a couple of years ago. And the guy said that bought it said, "Wow, this is quintessential '90s cyberpunk art." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, it was done in the '90s." Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. for cyber. <laughs> of course, it was. Wow. You know, it had like the electrodes and all the ye- yellow and black like line work. Like you put oh. it to fill everything, you know. What what do you call that? Like caution, caution tape on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, now day. you're gonna have to post a picture of it if you have one. I do have someone. I'll see okay. if I can find it somewhere. <laughs> no, but but you know, it's it's just interesting. Um, you know, talking about like this, how how the fears of society, like when you look at horror movies and stuff, are are kind of sometimes like this sort of stuff gone awry. Yeah, you know, like Frankenstein and like. Yeah, I found two notes that I made from yes. little things, just to wrap up here. Uh, with Cunny, he was mad one day at one of the universities for, I guess, stiffing him on some money. Aha, fun! <laughs> and intended. so he sent a corpse that had died of smallpox <gasps> to the university, <gasps> and some of the students got sick. It's so evil. So, so how long? That's an interesting question. Like, how often did these grave robbers get sick? Like, how often are these sorts of diseased bodies contagious? Well, he died of a heart attack, but not before selling his own body to the Ohio Medical College for fifty dollars. Huh? He died in eighteen seventy-one. So it's like his inheritance for his family. Well, I guess that's kind of. I mean, it's not okay that he did what he did, but at least he kind of put his money where his mouth is and gave yeah. his body. Well, they they deflushed him and fully mm-hmm. articulated his body, and it stayed in display there with a trowel in hand and a pipe in his mouth. Whoa! Indiana University did the same thing with gorilla. So hmm. that's kind of like hanging, putting the heads on spikes to yeah. warn well, everybody. He requested from- it though. That oh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also, body snatching was so widespread that Spring Grove Cemetery had installed a jail in their administrative building. Wow, that is a great factoid. Is that yep. still there? I have no idea. Oh. That is a question for our local docent. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll have to ask. Have you heard anything also, Jeff, about that? Like the the prison for the. I no, that's the first I've heard of that. In Spring yeah. Grove, but so much of Spring Grove is you know original. Stuff is still around, so yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. It's probably a if they have it, it's like a closet or something. You know? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Laundry room, bathroom, maybe. Well, you know, that's the size of a coffin. What? What? Well, year no, did, this is a jail. So, what well, year did Phineas Gage die? Because remember, like his skull is on display. Um, from he was somebody that contributed a lot to 
brain research and frontal lobe research because he's the person that survived when a when a uh, spike went through his head. Mm. And was that the when was that? I'm looking it up right now. So he died uh, in 1860 at I knew the it age was of 36. So uh, yeah, he's a oh, poor man lost an eye, but yeah, his he is. Uh, Did they leave this bike in? Um, yes, according to the medical sketch that I'm staring at right now of his skull. Wow. So it, it looks like he, it, it, well, I don't, they did not leave the spike in for the rest of his life. No. Oh, okay. So it looks like after he died, there are they a few great photos of him quite alive holding the spike. So, and then, um, there's a medical diagram of his skull and they inserted it back in. Mm-hmm. So, oof. Oof. Yeah. So yeah, then so. we can go all about medical museums and everything. But first, I'd love to say thank you, Jeff, for joining us today. <laughs> this has been a really interesting talk. Yeah. I miss your face, Jeff, no. since I don't get to see you at work all the time. I know. It's been a couple, like two years now. I know. Whoa. Yeah. I know. So for our listeners, if you'd like to catch up on more Jeff's stuff, you have the wonderful book. Is it? Hidden History of Cincinnati or Cincinnati Hidden History. Hidden History of Cincinnati. There we go. It's sitting on my table downstairs right now. Um, and then you have a bunch of other books. What other books? My most recent Cincinnati one was uh, Cincinnati and Illustrated Timeline, which covers everything from the early, you know, Indian mounds up to, you know, Fiona. Aww. <laughs> wow, between. that is quite, <laughs> That's a lot. quite a timeline. <laughs> Yeah, it comes a range. Um, and then I had lost Cincinnati about old buildings, and then and now, um, with where it's like pictures of what used to be and what's there now. Mm-hmm. And some of them surprising, um, that haven't changed as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of always kind of an interesting revelation. Uh, because we think about we turned over all these old buildings in Cincinnati, and it turns out actually there's quite a bit of old ones, yeah, we don't think about, right? Yeah, there's a few, like one that I just saw was, um, Oh my goodness, it's at the Cincinnati Zoo. It's the safari refreshment stand that was built originally in like the 50s as a different restaurant and the zoo just encroached on it, I guess. And then now it is, because it was built outside the zoo and then the property just encroached on it, took it over, and now it's a refreshment stand near the railroad. Really? I also write you know, regularly for the Enquirer. Um, and in fact, today I had a story about um, Washington Platform. <gasps> yes, that's and, right. Um, Is it just closed? Yeah, just closed at the end Aww. of December. Um, and, and I went back through the city directories and stuff and tried to... Some of the information that was out there wasn't entirely 100% accurate. And so I went back to, to find as much you know source material as I could to find out. And... Um, it's interesting connection to an unsolved murder. Oh, really? You guys can read Ooh. about that, and then we can come back and talk about it later. Maybe, yeah, yes. maybe that could future be another episode. show. <laughs> yeah, future episode. Excellent. Going to note that one. <laughs> All right. So, and your latest um, book? Yeah. Yeah. Then I have a new book on uh, called Tomorrowland: The Past, Present, and Future of Disney's Most Changed Land. So it's a completely different uh, connection thing there. Um, and uh, so it's kind of a history of like, you know, we don't think about when Disneyland first opened in 1955, uh, Tomorrowland, the vision of the future was, you know, space travel and all these things. But 
that that actually hadn't existed yet. Um, it was 57 when Sputnik went up. And so it was Tomorrowland and some of the Disney shows that actually kind of trained the American public to even be aware of the space program. And it was mm -hmm. really influential in getting NASA set up and everything. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then the idea of what happens when the present catches up <laughs> to the future. Um, the original Tomorrowland was supposed to be the far future of 1986. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Where we're supposed to have uh, moon, you know, daily trips to the moon and yeah, like passenger trips to the moon. Yeah. And they use that tech now for one of the um, Star Wars rides, the Journey to the Moon ride from 1955. Well, they all the stuff's been redone, but the, yeah. the concept of it, yeah, is pretty much with the Star Wars rides and stuff. But then you know, audio animatronics uh, being mm -hmm. invented um, through there, and you know, Disney was really a huge visionary, and you know, we think of them as this like. Oh, he was this TV guy or just a, a host, or maybe you think of him as some sort of like old conservative 50s media mogul. And it's like, no, he was really a visionary that um, saw things like monorails and uh, he was constantly trying to better the future. And to some degree, it's our society's failure to live up to his vision why these things didn't actually reach out you know he'd mm -hmm. been pushing for like the monorail in la mm -hmm. and uh, ray bradbury he was another advocate he was a friend of his and they would try to get la to get this monorail system and la just said no nope, we're fine with freeways and just <laughs> wow. got on a opportunity and <sighs> um hit epcot his original plan for epcot was actually a prototype city mm -hmm. um it was going to be a planned city it wasn't going to be a, an amusement park it was a whole new way of living yeah uh, well, that's yeah. fascinating. That is. Yeah, and I, I have the copy on my, uh, I've, I've started reading it. I have a copy on my nightstand, so I've been reading it, but it's yeah. very cool. And uh, I know I mentioned your website at the beginning of the show. Do you have any social media people can follow you at, Jeff? Uh, I mean, that's pretty much Facebook, you know, I'm on there, but. Um, yeah, and bookmark um, every single article on the Cincinnati Inquirer. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I do a weekly column at the Inquirer, which is on Cincinnati.com. So that's the way to find me. And anybody who's got interesting things, they can always reach me through the Inquirer or through the website. And yeah. there you go. Thank you for joining us again. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Learn all uh, about body snatching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another fascinating episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and along with me are Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. Every single week, we plan to bring you something new and interesting about the wonderfully strange city that we live in, Cincinnati, Ohio. So you can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. You can join our Facebook book group at hometown haunts and also we'd love to hear your hometown haunts from no matter where in the world you're located we want to hear your stories of the strange and spooky and you can send that to hometown haunted mail at gmail.com by doing so you give us permission to read it out on air for everyone to feast their ears on strange and spooky news from your neck of the woods so thank you again have a wonderfully spooky week good night and stay weird Bye.